Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. You walk up to a shop counter and put your milk, bread and paper on the counter. How do you pay? With cash? A card? Your phone? Even your watch? Is it easy to do these things? Should it be easier? What's coming down the line? And how can Ireland establish itself as somewhere that leads in this area rather than follows years after everyone else? Well, to find out more, I'm joined today by Elaine Dehan, who's the Ireland Country Manager at Starling Bank, and Paul Sweetman, Director of Financial Services Ireland, which is part of IBEC. Now, both of you, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adrian. Thanks, Adrian. Great to be here. Both of you have ideas about how to make Ireland a financial technology leader. But before we come to that, I want to respectfully put you both on the spot about generally the state of where we are at the moment. And the first question I want to ask really is, why is banking in general so slow to adopt to technology, whether it's apps or payment methods or compatibility? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I, I might kick off on that one, Adrian. Yeah. I think when you've seen the technological evolution over the last two decades, a lot of the services that people are very familiar with are technologies that they, they've been new. They've been additional to people's lives, things that we didn't really have before. But when you get into the financial services sector, you're dealing with companies that haven't just been around for decades. Some have been around for centuries um, and yep. there are systems in place in order to do certain things. And as we've seen, those systems are crucial at, at the good and the bad times uh, for the world economy. So change can often happen slowly as sort of a, a method to make sure things are working. So Well, well sl- slowly is the operative yeah. word. I just came back from two weeks in the US and I had a chip and pin card, which has been around for how long? 10 years? More? And there were still scenarios where it had to be swiped or I had to give my digital signature. The, you know, the the international standard on safety and security, just stepping back and looking at this, I mean, it's a bit of a joke. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you're living in the moment and, you know, you've got a tech savvy population, it can be frustrating that you can't do certain things when you move in jurisdictions. But just to put it in perspective, like in 2008, 2009, Facebook didn't even have a mobile phone website. You know, so yeah. we're still talking about a relatively short period of time. And um, but when you're in the moment and you've made that transition yourself into what technology can do, you're just sometimes you can get frustrated to wait the wor- for the world to catch up with you. And you often see that when you move into different jurisdictions or different countries and you see, well, I'm using my Google Pay app here or, and I can't use it here or something like that. Uh, but I do think we will we'll get there eventually. And, and we're in this very exciting phase of transition where we're seeing it all happen in front of our eyes where, you know, in a generation's time, it'll all just be normal uh, and mm. sort of we'll have plateaued in some respects, 
of, of what we can do with the technology and what we experience as normal. Yeah, and, and I think eventually, and the time is relative, uh, these are the key concepts. I mean, Apple Pay, for example, it took years for one of the pillar banks here in Ireland to implement that. And I know you're saying that, you know, in the general scheme of things, 10 years isn't that long in terms of banking. But in terms of the way that people perceive time to pass now, it's quite a long time. I look at other services like Samsung Pay, for example, Garmin, Fitbit, and Samsung isn't available uh, in this market. I don't know whether that's a banking thing or, or a Samsung thing. Um, some of the apps that are used by some of the biggest banks are still a little bit stone age. I don't mean to load all of this on you guys right here now. I'm just getting some stuff off my chest before we get to ways in you know how we might improve things in general as a uh, an industry here in Ireland. But it does seem that banking in general, A, moves slowly, and B, frustrates a lot of people. And I, I think one of the big pieces for me as well is that you know, when you look at the financial services sector, it's it's one of the most regulated in many ways. Companies and the individuals are, are regulated. Uh, and I think the fintech sector in some ways uh, has been waiting for particular pieces of regulation to come along to open things up. And I feel like we're sort of like the horse at the traps ready to go now. Uh, we have tech savvy, like when you look at Ireland, we have a tech savvy population. We see what can be done. We're at that forefront. And I do think we're at that moment where it's going to be this watershed or inflection point where suddenly the floodgates open and you see people ready to take on these services and those services becoming uh, available. And I'd say if we have this conversation in two years time, we'll kind of look back and laugh at almost where we were at this point in time as well. Well, I'll tell you, I'll invite yeah, you back yeah, on yeah. in two years time and we'll see whether we're laughing or not. <laughs> Elaine, you are, to coin Paul's uh, phrase, I don't know how apt or fortunate this is, you are one of those horses who is running these, you know, with Starling Bank. Um, what is Starling Bank seeking to do and how is it seeking to disrupt the market? Yeah, you're right. We are literally jumping at the bit ready, you know, to, to get out and, and, and start running the race. Um, Starling Bank isn't around that long. I mean, Starling Bank was founded in 2014. We were licensed and launched in the UK in 2017 and since then have just grown um, at a pace that an unprecedented pace, in fact, um, in the UK, we now have 2.5 million customers in, in the UK. Um, we have seven billion pounds, over seven billion pounds on deposits. Um, we're lending and uh, we have a huge, um, uh, we're a really um, successful and very fast growing SME business. So, and our, our premise is we are a digital bank. We are a branchless bank. We work on mobile, mobile first, and we give our customers exactly what they want in their hands when they want it. Um, and we're seeking to do that here as well. Um, and what, what can't you do in Ireland that one of the bigger banks can do? Well, we, we're not a bank yet, so we're not regulated in Ireland just yet. We are seeking authorization and subject to regular regulatory approval um hopefully we'll be will be in the market in the not too distant future to you know as a bank in ireland as a credit fully licensed credit institution but in the uk what can and can't you do compared to barclays or you know one of the natwest well we offer current accounts in the uk and we do um current accounts for retail consumers and small businesses where we don't uh, sell mortgages um, we do some lending. Um, we do, and we were accredited by the British Business Bank during the, the initial lockdown of 2020 to lend 
business bounce back loans and coronavirus business interruption loan scheme um, in the for you know the first half of, of that year. Um, so you, you know our our offering is you know we have we have a simple current account that is simple in and its complexity actually lies in the, in its simplicity in insofar as how our customers that's pretty and deep. how our customers can actually interact with that account and what it does for them. Um, they don't need to come to a branch. They don't need to to see somebody over the counter to execute a transaction. We are built as a bank in terms of all of our systems, our internal controls and governance has all been built to serve our customers digitally. So, for example... Okay, do, do you work with Apple Pay? Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, Fitbit, Garmin Pay, yeah. etc. yeah. Was that hard to set those up to integrate those? No, um, not not usually. I mean, I wasn't on on the with Starling when it happened. But what we do with Starling is I'm just trying to figure out why it is so hard with some of the bigger banks to integrate, like you know, Samsung yeah. Pay, for example. Look, why why can you do it quite I easily? Guess the, and the biggest banks, I guess here the, can't the, do the, it. the the I, as I said with Starling, our simply our our like the simplicity is is complex because of our technology is our own. We've built it from scratch. We don't carry any legacy. Um, we build things for the digital world. So we build everything very, very simply, microservice architecture. Um, we don't have to. So you, you might have to integrate all of no, the complex legacy database stuff exactly, that the bigger banks and, here might have you know, to do. I guess like so in my own head, how I liken, you know, how the existing traditional banks systems are, it's like if you take a, a, a city like London, which is, you know, booming with like, you know, um, overground, lots of activity, lots of new new ways of doing things. But you look at the underground system in London and you have this network of tunnels for tubes and they're connected and they're all old. And then underground, again, you have to go further and further. And if there's one thing that happens on the tube in like one line, nearly the whole thing goes down, you know, and, and that's the issue with, with the banks and, and the, their legacy infrastructure. And, and you see now that, you know, Bank of Ireland and in Ireland, as an example, has spent over a billion, I'd say, at this stage on, you know, on trying to improve their infrastructure and technology. And of course, then you've got all of these issues where they're, you know, they have back books and they have customer accounts on their books that are 40, 50, 60 years old. Like, and if they make... Yeah, and I, I think we can all have some sympathy for the the scale of the challenge that they have. I suppose that when you're a punter, you know, in the year 2021, yes. and you're trying to walk into a shop and pay for something with your watch. And by the way, most normal people, if you're buying a watch, you now buy an Apple watch. It, it, it's not that it's some sort of exotic high tech thing. Mm. That is the normal watch you buy. They, they outsell all other watches pretty much uh, combined. I've done enough grousing and bitching now. Um, I want to get on to maybe how we as a country, as an industry, can invest and deepen uh, our fintech industry here. Now, we, we've something like 350 fintech companies here, some really good ones, Fenergo and, and others. Stripe kind of says that it's uh, a European US company. It has a, its international headquarters here. It's investing heavily here. And yet, when you look at the league tables of who leads the world, we are down uh, the table. Um, I think one of the lists I saw had us at 18th uh, with the US and the UK, Israel, Singapore, and Switzerland up the top. I'm just trying to figure out, maybe Paul, you might um, 
weigh in on this. What those countries have that we don't and what we need to do to get up yeah. to their level. Yeah, so the first thing I'd say is, you know, we do need to do something, but let's have a bit of perspective on this. Um, I think the point you make, Adrian, just kind of going back to, you know, why can't we get certain payment methods with particular institutions? And um, the world is now moving really fast into that expectation. And people are starting to realize what can be done with, with fintechs and financial services technology. Um, but we're probably only 1% done entirely of what fintech actually is or what it can do for the world. So we're really at the beginnings of this. Um, so when I look at the rankings and where we are in the world, it's, you, know, you have to take everything with a pinch of salt. Um, it's, it's okay, but it's not great. Um, so we need to look at where we are in the rankings, what other countries are doing, but with the perspective that this is still relatively new in terms of where we will get to in a generation with, with, with this technology. Um, but when you look around the world, uh, there's a few kind of common trends for those that are on top of the league tables. They have good investments in uh, financial services technology and fintech. Uh, they have great support from their governments and their central banks. And they have a tech savvy population. Um, they also have a very strong education system that provides the right talent for those fintech uh, companies. Uh, and also the governments themselves are using uh, fintech services to provide services to citizens. And all of that kind of builds a confidence, builds a good news story where people want to get, get, get involved. Um, and one piece that I really do see that a lot of... Yeah, so just, just yeah. to sum up, though, we're a little bit Luddite-ish. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say say Luddite. Um, I do think you know we're, we're 18th in some of those rankings, uh, but uh, we're doing quite well in many respects. I do feel like we have elements. So, for example, our central bank has an innovation hub, uh, but many other central banks uh, have sandboxes, which is I'd say a bit more of a complicated or complex uh, system. Uh, of, of providing uh, kind of innovation support to, to fintechs. So I think we should move our innovation hub, for example, into uh, a much broader, stronger sandbox. That's something we can do quite quickly and, and easily. Can you, can you just, just for the benefit of me, actually, but also <laughs> listeners who uh, may be a little bit confused, yeah. sandbox? So I suppose it, it, it's a concept that really allows for a safe environment for innovation. So if you want to introduce uh, a new service uh, in the financial services space uh, through fintech knowledge, fintech technology as such. Uh, you can do it in this sandbox. Uh, you can kind of maybe break a few things along the way, but it won't have a systemic impact. So it allows people to test. Do you mean including out. ordinary customers, people like you and me, using these services? Yeah, or it, it may not necessarily go go to that extent, but it will be kind of like a pilot system that allows you to almost. Uh, see what the product will look like and work like, and then you can make sure that it, it won't have any big impact. And you can also see the strong positives and what actually might work better than you expected. Um, and I think, so it's quite a robust system. There's a lot of effort goes into, into building these, um, but we don't have one, and I think we, we should. Okay. Um, Elaine, from your perspective and the perspective of Starling, I know you're going for a license here. What would you like to see happen in general here to to bring banking and bringing uh, the the fintech sector here. I think uh, I mean what Paul says is on the money there when he talks about the sandbox and the environment. I think you know there are challenges um, around how I suppose look the Irish regulation re regulatory system is robust. 
it's very thorough and um you know and and they have a huge responsibility to protect the you know the economy and the, to to avoid having any sort of systemic risk um you know but there's and because we lack the sandbox environment and and maybe you know we don't have a regulator doesn't have a mandate to introduce competition then there's sort of a stifling then as to how long it can take for a firm that comes into the market to try and get 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 authorized and get up and running um like for example when when starling was authorized in the uk in 2017 it was issued with a license with restrictions which meant and and they haven't this the, the concept of um a mobilization phase so your bank license is issued and you have a time then to mobilize your bank um to take on customers to take on customer deposits up to you know a cap um and allows you then to completely operationalize and and to do everything in a safe in a safe way and i think that in itself would some would be something that would go a long way to actually helping firms get authorized more quickly and and to really you know um prove and validate their business models in the market and um uh and and become operational as quickly as possible um but again because i suppose there isn't a mandate for competition and the 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 risk aversion of um then issuing licenses with restrictions that that just creates a a bit of a bottleneck then okay um paul in terms of what the government and regulators central bank other interested parties can do what would be top of your agenda in terms of what you think would move things forward yes so I, I think I, I'd, we've actually put in a submission uh, on this uh, to government and, and we've encapsulated our ask in, in, in one item. We want a national fintech action plan. And uh, many of the leading jurisdictions have that. Oh, we, did you have to call it action plan though? Yeah, well, they they, they, they work when, when you list it down in action. action no, no, plan. That, yeah. <laughs> um, I've been involved in a, in a couple in my time uh, in, in IBEC mm-hmm. and they really have delivered. I was involved in one um, in the technology sector uh, for over 10 years. and. You can see the fruits of that labor very, very clearly. Um, so we, we've encapsulated a, a lot of items there, but I suppose that there's a sort of a, a fundamental point here that I want to try and get across is that we almost need to generate an excitement amongst policymakers and the general public about the, the, one, the huge growth that is in fintech, and then that Ireland is actually really well placed uh, to grab that growth. So it's not just about growth in financial services or technology, which we've already been really good at. We need to see this as something different. And I'll just give you, give you one example. Um, so this whole concept of buy now, pay later, fintechs that allow this to happen. So you do your shopping at Marks and Spencer's, and when you're in the checkout, uh, and this is online, you're checking out, and they give you an option of saying, do you want to pay all this up front, or do you want to you know, pay this over installments, you know, interest-free over the next three weeks or whatever it might be? There's a, a buy now, pay later fintech behind that. And um, in 2019, in the US, $3 billion was spent uh, through buy now, pay later on, uh, on websites. In 2020, that figure increased to $39 billion. And it's suspected to hit about $100 billion in 2024. So you can just imagine the amount of companies that are behind that, that are going to be emerging. And that's the excitement that I want to create is that- I, I, I would have to say that a good chunk of that is probably Apple because Apple introduced uh, essentially a payment plan for its new iPhones when it started going over the $1,000 
mark, I think in 2018, 2019. Yeah, and, and w- what I'd be interested in is who are the companies that are the suppliers to Apple helping them develop that technology? So there are fintechs and then there are supplying companies. Helping I'm sure it's develop. all rooted through Cork one way or the other. Anyway, <laughs> that's a different podcast. But the M&S example, for, for example, uh, they used a buy now, pay later called ClearPay. Um, and they just use that one one, one company. Uh, there's another company called ScalaPay, which has about a $900 million valuation uh, that has its base here in, in Ireland. And so what I'm saying is that we can start to win the investments from all of these fintechs that are out there. Uh, Klarna, which is a Swedish company uh, in the buy now, pay later space, it has a valuation of about $45 billion. Now, interestingly, that's more uh, puts the company more valuable than Barclays, which was the con- yeah. which was the company that introduced credit cards into the UK for the first time. So this shows where things are going. Um, and I suppose what I'm trying to get at is that we need to start trying to win that investment. We're in a really strong space, uh, or else we'll be followers. We'll use all of these services ourselves, but we won't actually get the benefit of having those companies here and being leaders in the field. We'll be followers. We've done it before in many sectors. So I think we need to see that the fintech sector is actually, it's not just a subsector of tech or a subsector of financial services. It is something that we need to focus on in, a, in its own right and kind of not rest on our laurels, of having strong tech and financial services. Okay, Elaine, last word to you. Uh, Paul mentioned buy now, pay later. Do you see any interesting new services in general in fintech coming down the line? I mean, are we still obsessed with cryptocurrency and blockchain, for example, as you know, providing the base for future payment and ordinary products that we use every day? Or is there something else you see coming down the line? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, and I, I think um you know crypto and blockchain and bitcoin was really kind of all the rage kind of last year or there you know I th- uh, for me things have moved on and certainly in my my um day to day it's 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 not it, it doesn't feature um i think what you'll see and, and certainly what we're doing at starling is opening up our banking platform and offering banking as a service and i think what you'll see is more and more non-banks and non-fintechs uh any brand any anyone can become a fintech so the likes of starling saying you know we have our banking as a service platform open you can plug into our api um and integrate and embed financial services and banking into your customer journeys and we as the bank in the back end pretty much stay invisible um, you use our license, you issue, you, you know, cards or, and accounts are issued to your customers in your brand and, and you can embed those financial services into your customer journeys in whatever way you want. So I think that's one thing that we're going to see a lot more of in the coming year. And obviously start where we are doing that at Starling. That's um, uh, what, what, the way we'll, we, we intend to launch into Europe. Um, and, and and I think you'll see. I think HSBC announced this week that they're opening up their banking their uh, uh, banking as a service platform as well. Um, and and then you have other competitors in the market like Solaris Bank, um, Trezor in France, um, and, and they have uh, Green Dot is a, is a is a is a bank in the states doing it as well. So I think banking as a service, embedded finance. I, I think there's an an awful lot going to happen in that space. Okay, when are you hoping to know? more about being licensed in ireland um hopeful that you know kind of next year um we'll next year we'll know more yeah 
Okay, Elaine Dehan, Ireland Country Manager at Sterling Bank and Paul Sweetman, Director of Financial Services Ireland. Thank you very much for joining me on today's podcast. And that's all we have time for this week. So for me, Adrian Weckler, Tech Editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, I'll talk to you the same time next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.